Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands podcast. We're brought to you, as always, by the crew at nextlevelbrands.com. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, please check out the services offered at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Courses, workshops, founder coaching, fractional marketing and sales resources, and a whole lot more. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. Take your brand to the next level with Next Level Brands, what you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clear. We're going to talk today about those pangs of hunger in the late evening, especially you may have for ice cream, but they can actually be good for you. My guest this week is Sean Folkson founder and CEO of Night Food. Sean founded Night Food when he couldn't find a solution to his own nighttime snacking problem. No matter how carefully he ate during the daylight hours, the nighttime brought out his inner craving monster. He soon found out he wasn't alone. In fact, over 85% of American adults snack regularly at night, combining to spend over a billion dollars a week on snacks consumed between dinner and bedtime. Recognizing growing body of evidence linking nutritional intake with sleep quality, Folkson launched Night Food. It's the first snack brand, snack brand formally formulated by sleep experts and nutritionists to provide better, healthier, more sleep-friendly snacks for anybody snacking at night. Sean's a serial entrepreneur and problem solver, having previously founded Specialty Equipment Direct, an online distributor of floor removal equipment, and before that, Affiliate Pros, an internet marketing company specializing in affiliate marketing. Welcome to the program, Sean. Thanks so much, Steve. Happy to be here. So, you know, it's it's one of those things about um, about food and beverage, particularly, I think, CPG, we get into this area of, A, trying to solve a problem, hitting a pain point, whatever out there with the consumer. What is the white space? What does the consumer really need? Where going? And it seems as though you came up with this great idea, but it's like, holy cow, it took a long time for somebody to get there because we were, we were all doing this and all having to address it. Take us back to kind of what you were doing before and, and why your focus came on nighttime snacking. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, this was a problem for me personally. So I, you know, the idea goes back over 25 years, I think, quite honestly, maybe about 25 years. So, you know, out of college in uh, 1991, you know, I, I used to work out all the time. I was in great shape and I, you know, got into the work world and I was just still eating the way I used to eat, but I wasn't moving around as much and, uh, you know, wake up at 27 years old and you realize you're not quite as invincible as you, as you thought you were at 22. And so I started trying to eat better at that time. And, you know, it was, it was interesting. So right now, intermittent fasting is a big thing. Lots of people talk about it, but back then the big thing was called body for life. I don't know if you remember Bill Phillips yeah. and the Myoplex yeah. brand. Yeah. So this was the biggest thing. I mean, you'd walk into the Barnes and Noble, you know, they used to have book, these things called bookstores, right? You walk into the Barnes and Noble and there's always a big pyramid of books in the front and it's the bestseller. Well, his book seemed like it was there for months on end, I remember. So, but the interesting thing about Body for Life was it was totally different. The 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 core philosophy was, you know, your body is this machine and you need to continually be feeding the machine or else uh, your metabolism would shift into starvation mode and your metabolism would slow down and you would end up burning fewer calories. And so even if you were trying to be, be good and eat all the right things, you would slow down your metabolism and, and you'd actually kind of undermine your own efforts. So the right. philosophy was you need to be eating every two to three hours that you're awake. 
And that starts in the morning and it, it didn't stop until, you know, nighttime. And so I had previously uh, been eating <laughs> two huge meals a day. They were not healthy. It was a lot of fast food and stuff like that. And then, you know, I, I, I switched over to body for life and what, what the regiment was, you know, you'd have a, a moderate size breakfast and then you'd have like one of his myoplex shakes at 11 a.m., then you would have lunch at 1.30, a Myoplex bar at 4. And, and so I was eating these Myoplex bars, and they were so delicious. I, I, I don't even know how many calories or, or you know, I mean, they were, they were so good. But they were workout bars. And that was really all I was keeping in the house because I was trying to keep all the junk out of the house. And so at night, you know, I would have dinner at whatever, 6.30, 7 o'clock. And I would have a Myoplex bar at nine, for instance. And I, you know, I'd still be up working, you know, this is when I was doing affiliate pros. So it was a lot of internet marketing stuff. So, I, and my partner was, was in Seattle. He was on the West coast. So I would typically, you know, be working yeah, late. Hang. And, yeah. And, yeah. And in a typical night, I might literally have, you know, over a period of six or six and a half hours from like 8 PM until, you know, one or two in the morning, I might, I would have two almost every single night and often nights, three of these workout bars. And and I, I, I wasn't sleeping as well as I used to when I was eating. I wasn't falling asleep as easily as when I was eating the junk, quite honestly. And I, I developed the inability to fall asleep, what I called insomnia. And so I started thinking, you know, it's got to be something. I'm eating these energy bars at night and, and I'm not able to fall asleep. What's going yeah. on here? And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so I, I went, I remember going online and I looked for like all different kinds of nutrition bars and they had everything, Steve. They had they had they had bars for uh, you know pre workout and post workout. They had a golf brand of a bar called uh, First Tea and Tenth Tea. So <laughs> it was it was you know it was a different recipe. Uh, yeah. They had a bar called B A R R E, and it was for ballet dancers. I found something called Belly Bar for pregnant women, which makes sense because you know they need their own they have their own special nutritional needs. But there was sure. nothing specific to the nighttime occasion and. You know, I, I think everybody understands there's NyQuil and there's DayQuil, right? Your body needs different things at night. But when it came to food, all I found was tips and tricks. So all the sleep experts out there and all the sleep websites would say, well, you know, you really, sh you know, you shouldn't necessarily be eating at night. But if you're going to, you know, here's what you need to avoid and here's what you should have more of. And there were recipes and tips and tricks. and But there was no products. And I thought that was fascinating. And, you know, nobody wants to be preparing food. You know, I mean, you're grabbing things typically between commercials, you know, at nine or 10 o'clock at night. You know, you don't want to have this recipe right. for, you know, quick, quick natural nachos or something, you know, and only 25 minutes of prep time. Like, who, who has time for that? So I thought that there was an opportunity there. But again, I was an industry outsider and I, I, I thought about it and I, I researched it a little bit and I said, you know what, somebody else will, you know, will do this. And when they do, I'll, I'll be their best customer. And every couple of years, the idea crossed my mind again. And, and through that time, I realized that this was becoming more and more of a, of a problem. Sleep was becoming more of a problem. You know, people were creeping. I, I don't know. I don't know when, but, you know, social media, you know, in the second half of the, oh, of the yeah. 2000s, 
But, you know, it, it just seemed to be coming more and more media attention. And there was also more and more research about it. And so in 2009, I, 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 I spoke to my wife and I said, look, I said, this is going to be a billion dollar category. You know, everybody snacks. And I, and I didn't have any statistics at that time, Steve. So, But I knew from speaking to people that so many people seem to snack at night. It seemed to be the time that most people had trouble, you know, in terms of being good boys and girls. And, and I knew that there was a lot of evidence out there that what you ate at night would impact your sleep for better or worse. And when I put those three things together, it occurred to me that this was a huge thing. So I spoke to my wife and, and I divested from the company that I had founded and was running at the time, specialty equipment, which you mentioned. And, and I, I threw myself into this. I had no industry knowledge. You know, I, I, I bumped around with some consultants and, you know, we, we made some missteps and we, first created our nutrition bars, which had melatonin in them, which, you know, I was under the feeling at that time was the right thing to do. And people were telling me, but, you know, we discovered pretty quickly that, that that was, you know, problematic and kind of not what the consumer really wanted. So it was a lot of trial and error. And, uh, you know, I just wouldn't give up. I mean, because I, and, and we still, it's not like we've, you know, we're, we haven't struck gold and uh, yet, but, but we know we're there because we finally got everything figured out. And we're launching nationally. I'm sure we'll talk about our hotel launch. But, uh, you know, the just the knowledge that this category was inevitable and all signs pointed to it just gave me the, the I won't say confidence, but gave me the, the motivation to start and to just keep going when, you know, other people, you know, would have quit 10 times by now, but, but we're not going away. <laughs> so, and, and yeah, and, and, and persistence obviously pays off. But what I find interesting is the fact that you were, you know, you'd been thinking about this for quite a while and, mm-hmm. and addressing it and then going out. And I imagine the conversation with wife was very supportive. Yeah, honey, I'm just going to, you know, wrap up the old job here and take off and try this thing. But let's talk a little bit about you, you mentioned consultants and some other stuff. But when you were doing your research, whatever, obviously we can all do it on Google. You can do books, whatever else. Yep. So how did you approach, though, from the fact that you were going to be dealing with a food or a beverage or a bar or whatever at that point? Did you you know, go out and talk to people who were involved in the industry? Did you actually look for consultants who are trying to help start businesses? Did you do an incubator? How did that work? Well, you know, I set out on my own, really. And, and I think that, you know, with my e-commerce background, I felt that that this was something that we would be able to to grow sufficiently online and learn enough that we could then kind of take whatever the next steps were going to be. You know, it's funny though, because I really didn't have a handle on, you know, how food and beverage is is looked at very, very differently than technology startups. Oh, yes. And (laughs) and by the time I learned that it was too late, we didn't have, you know, the run. I was looking at this like a technology startup. Like we just need to, you know, we need to sell the idea. And, and proof of concept, and then the capital will come in, and then we can build. But it, it, it's really not like that. And by the time we realized it, I was I was already pretty much out of money. But you know that that was the way I approached it. I was probably a little over overconfident. And I think you know the interesting thing was you know we did some research on people's receptivity to to the problem, and 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 people really related to this problem. You know when they hear about it, oh my god, I'm always snacking at night, right? I mean who who can't relate. Obviously, there's there's ten or twelve percent people out there that that just don't do it. But but it's most people. So you know the the response we got when talking about the problem was so strong that I think I think that made me think that the the process was going to be easier than it was. 
but really nailing the product was 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 not easy. I shouldn't say the product, the solution. Okay, because it's not really right, about the right. product. It's it, it's so I don't know that we really understood the product and so much. So much of our understanding of the of the problem, I should say, not the product, the problem came actually after we launched. Like I said, we didn't have the statistics; they weren't available. We, I mean, I knew it was a problem, but we didn't know it was like eighty five percent of adults. We knew people were eating junk, but we didn't literally know that the four most popular things were cookies, chips, ice cream, and candy. You know, you know, <laughs> four major food groups at night, right? But that's so, that, that's it for sure, sure. So we we. I, I, like I said, because I felt that this was such a problem and because the problem really resonated with people, I don't think I had enough respect for the process of of bringing a solution to market and truly building a company around that. And and when, when you were at that point, Sean, were, were you, in terms of format, were you still looking at, at kind of a bar as the answer? Mm-hmm. And when did that, when did that switch over to the, to the ice cream? So yeah, we launched with bars. I was a bar guy. I, you know, I was eating the Myoplex bars, like I told you from back way, you know, way back when. And I think that, you know, we launched with bars and, you know, it didn't really catch on. And despite, you know, how this problem resonated with people, you know, it didn't catch on. And so we we reformulated, we we rebranded, repackaged, you know. So we went through about, you know, six years of of trying to get the bars to you know to connect with the market and and we always wanted to do other you know more traditional nighttime snack formats it was always it was always the progression that we envisioned but the the plan all along steve was to first get the bar business up to a certain level of success and then introduce the other snack formats and 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 then i don't remember i think it was uh i think it was um 2017 or 2018 we realized you know Maybe part of the friction, the unnecessary friction that we're introducing to people in forcing them to switch to a bar, you know, from their cookies, chips, ice cream, or candy, you know, maybe, maybe that's enough to wow, yeah, to be the yeah. straw that breaks the camel's back. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah that's very interesting because the, the, the format you would think, okay, if, if the product is going to deliver on my problem or my issue, but there's, when you were talking about that just now, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, when I think about a bar, most of the bar stuff, you know, I look more at a meal replacement. It's a, oh, I've got a meeting coming up at eight 30. I, and I can't have anything real for breakfast. So I'm going to have a bar. It's right. But it's a, it's sort of a, I expect that to fill me up and da, 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 da. And I'm trying to push that concept to it's 10 o'clock at night, get ready to watch the news. I'm not sure I'm up for a bar commitment, heavy meal replacement, even though it may be good for me, right? It may help me sleep maybe, but that seems like as opposed to, wow, a couple of scoops <laughs> in, yeah. in the bowl, right? Uh, just seems like a much more you know, appropriate thing for that period of time. Although who knows, but anyway, that's what you guys found out. So painful pivot. Yeah. So, so we realized that, that, that the bar format was, you know, just one extra piece of friction that we could, that we could avoid by launching ice cream. Now, ice cream is no, is no picnic in terms of logistics and, and costs. It's it's kind of a nightmare, but you know, it, it, it got people excited. Right. And and it got people really excited because it's just it's just a really interesting concept. This sleep friendly ice cream. You know, what does that mean? 
I mean, we got so much coverage. We were on the Today Show. We were in Oprah Magazine. I can't. Wall Street Journal did an article on us. USA Today. I mean, it was just it was just unbelievable. I mean, it seemed like every major outlet, you know, and you know, and and we, we were able to pick up some some retail distribution in supermarkets, but we still weren't doing a good enough job, I think, of of communicating those key benefits to the consumer. And and retail is just so expensive and. And, uh, you know, oh, again, yes. because because we were getting all this attention, you know, we went at it like, hey, we could just go into every store and people will see this and they'll grab it. And and it makes sense to people because now we've removed that one piece of friction. Right. It's no longer a bar. Now it's ice cream. Like like how can somebody eating Ben and Jerry's or or haagen or even Halo Top, you know, they know it's not optimal. And when they see the night food, sleep friendly ice cream there in the freezer, they'll just go for it and then they'll never go back. Right. So that was that was, uh, again, a little bit of the thinking that, you know, gave us the confidence and seeing all this press and we won product of the year and everything else, you know, gave us the confidence to launch broader and faster, you know, than than we probably should have. And so, you know, we went down that road of getting into a lot of stores. We ended up getting discontinued in some of our supermarkets. And that was kind of a painful lesson. And at the time, you know, the one thing that we discovered where, where the ice cream really sold was in hotels where, you know, there's there's a much narrower, you know, in, in a conventional supermarket, you know, if we've got four SKUs in there, there literally could be five or six hundred uh, pints, yes. pint SKUs. Yeah. You know, Ben and Jerry's alone could have 40 or 50 and Hagen yeah. does has 30 to 40 and Talenti and, and everybody else. So so what we found in the in the hotels, not only is there a much more limited selection but the idea of, of this sleep-friendly concept really makes a lot of sense in that context. You're not in that hotel little shop. You know, you're not shopping. It's not 11 a.m. on Tuesday and you're buying groceries for the whole week, right? You're walking in there. <laughs> right. you're, whatever you buy, you're going to eat in that moment. So if you're in there at night and you know you've got a meeting tomorrow or you got to be up for your flight or whatever, and you see this thing that says sleep-friendly, that is a pretty compelling a pretty compelling message in that moment. Where in the supermarket, you might look at that and think like, well, I don't even know what that is and, and where's the Ben and Jerry's, right? So, so, so what we found in late 2019 was that the hotels, when we got hotel placements, and we weren't in many, but, but maybe a dozen or two, but, the, but we, were, we were selling pint for pint with, with Ben and Jerry's or haagen or whoever was in that cooler with us. And we started really, really pushing in there because we knew that was a very uncharted territory, I think, for CPG. And especially with the the hotels having this obligation for better sleep. I mean, they're in the sleep business and they're, you know, snacking in the hotel space yeah. has yeah. been growing. I mean, now yeah. a lot of these hotels basically have like a mini 7-Eleven in the, in the lobby. Oh, yeah. Um, and we really started pushing that in, in late 2019 and early 2020. And then, of course... You know, COVID hit and the whole hotel place shut right. down. Went down. So that was, yeah, it was perfect yeah, timing. Right? Sorry, yeah. So, so that was kind of the the evolution from bars to ice cream, and then from ice cream in conventional retail to now ice cream in hotels. So we feel like okay, we've removed the friction related to format. We've removed the friction related to a lack of context and a lack of understanding and a lack of you know being in the right you know need state for the consumer. And and just now, after you know, we we did a test with one of the leading global hotel brands last year, and they're rolling us out nationally. So now 
going full circle, Steve, on the format question, not only do we have our now our ice cream is in hotels from coast to coast, just launched our first orders came in about six weeks ago. The reorders are coming in. And and now we're working and, and hopefully very soon we'll be launching here in 2022 uh, night food cookies. And also we expect to launch in 2022 night food chips. And we can do that. Normally in the supermarket, you wouldn't add so many formats so quick, but in that hotel shop, right, we believe that if the consumer walks in there looking for cookies, right, we don't, again, we don't want to force them to get the, to try to switch them into a different format of ice cream. You know, we want the ice cream, night food ice cream will be next to the Ben and Jerry's, night food cookies will be next to the Oreos and the Chips Ahoy, night food chips will be next to the Pringles and the Doritos. And whatever somebody wants when they go into that hotel in that in that moment of consumption, we want to have a sleep friendly snack right there for them. You, yeah, you, you bet. And okay, so I'm I'm right, writing down a couple things. So now I have like ten questions, but I'll try to sort out the better ones. Over this period of time, and you you've spoken about how expensive it is in retail, and and it is, and it's the number one reason that most of the businesses yeah. I see fail yep. is simply because lack of capital access, not an understanding of what scaling actually takes and, 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 and distribution takes. But we're talking about a period here of several years. Are you bootstrapping this this point in time? Do you have some investors who are going along for this and accepting the pivot? Or how did you survive yeah, bar stage to get to the, oh, you know what? I, I'm, my bar's not working. I got a great idea. Let's do ice yeah. cream. How did that all happen? Yeah. So that's, that's another very interesting piece of the story. So, you know, I don't give up. So, so we were out there trying to raise money years ago. I don't, I guess 2013 or so. And, you know, I had, I had already put $200,000 into the business. And, you know, you, you mentioned my wife being very supportive when we decided to start, but you know, a couple of years in, you know, the support starts to waver, right? So, so we're out there trying to raise money, and uh, you know, we we were fortunate. So, and, and it was really interesting. So, I, I don't know how much time we have, but don't worry, you can edit this one if you need to. But so, the the, the really weird thing is this. So, I, I was pitching uh, a lot of angel groups and stuff like that. Now, remember, we didn't have traction uh, as a conventional food product, you know, and and I was out there pitching angel groups and and trying to network. And and these were mostly people that would invest in different things. They were not food investors. And that was problematic in the sense that nobody could give me a fast no. And the reason they couldn't just say no is because what we're doing was so compelling and, and people could relate to it so much. But but so it took it sucked up a lot of time, but nobody could pull the trigger because we just didn't fundamentally, we just didn't have any 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 proof and I didn't have the experience. So it would be a lot. It would have been a lot easier if we would have gotten a quick no from everybody. Like, oh, that's a bad idea, or there's no market yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah, right. I could just move on with my life. But I ended up meeting after meeting after meeting before somebody got to the moment of truth, and they just left us at the altar. So we had a group that offered to finance us if we would take the company public, and so that's what we did. We've been publicly traded, for, I think, since 2014 or 2015. And uh, we've got over 5,000 shareholders. And, uh, you know, we would have gone out of business, you know, several times had it not been for the access to capital provided by the fact that we're a public company. And again, the, the, the value of what we're delivering to our investors, if we succeed, is so exceptionally compelling. You know, we're not another salsa company. 
you know, where if we succeed, we can potentially eke out a profit or whatever. I mean, we're a brand and we're we're solving a problem that is clearly a billion dollar problem. And if and when we get this thing figured out, the the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow for the individual investors can be significant. So, you know, the combination of, of access to funds as a public company combined with a very compelling, you know, narrative has has really kept us going in light of you know the the operational challenges that we faced as a young as a young company, right? That is that that everybody has to has to do if they're gonna if they're gonna grow the business. So the pivot to ice cream. So we get back to this room. So you mentioned it already, but we'll hit it one more time. So you lined yourself up for not not saying making a bar is easy, but let's just say that the barriers to entry are a little lower than they are for doing a frozen product. And getting into that whole supply chain situation mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and all that. So did you did you look first of all for trying to find you know, first of all, did you look for formulas and what you were going to do in terms of flavors? Did you find a co-packer, then a distributor? How did you how did you make that switch? Because the buyers, the distributors, none of those things are the same between bars yeah. and frozen food. Yeah. So we, we were very fortunate. I mean, you know, I, I was able to find uh, an R&D team in the ice cream space that, that loved the idea. And, and, and what, what was even more fortunate was when we went to them, they had just developed a technology, a base for one of the leading supermarkets had come to them and wanted to do their own private label version of Halo Top. And they went to the R&D team and they said, we need a, a version of Halo Top that we can private label. The R&D team said, yeah, no problem. We got this. They went back, they tinkered in the lab and they came back and they presented to the, to the supermarket. And they said, they said, we've made it so much better than Halo Top. We've made it creamy and, and delicious. And we took out all the artificial, uh, not artificial, all the uh, sugar alcohols. And, and this is great. You guys are going to love it. And the supermarket said, no, that's not what we need. We need a clone you know, because when you're doing private label, you want to just do as close of a knockoff right. as you can, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to try to make it better because better might not be accepted by the consumer. So so they said, okay, we got it. They went back and they they delivered the clone to the to the supermarket and, and the supermarket went on and started producing it. But they had now in their file cabinet, they had this base that they had formulated, which you know did. They they took everything. They took all the good stuff from Halo Top and made it better. And they took all the bad stuff and got rid of it. And so when I went to them and, and explained my idea of what we we're looking for, you know, they were already eighty or ninety percent of the way there. So we really really lucked out, and it, it allowed us to get to commercialization very rapidly with a co-packer. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was just kind of uh, you know all the all the stars aligning. And and the buyers we spoke to, they they loved it because they know they, Steve, it's. When you say to somebody, hey, when do you think most ice cream is consumed? You know, pint ice cream at the house. Right. right? This is not this is not somebody at a baseball game or, or on the beach, on the boardwalk. Right. If you say, when is most pint ice cream consumed? I think most people would say, geez, it's got to be 70, 80 percent has to be in the house after dinner. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so everybody kind of got that right away. So in our meet in our buyer meetings, and again, that's another thing that gave me the false sense of security buyers like, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. So, you know, that part wasn't hard. And, and finding partners, you know, from the R&D to the co-packer, everybody really believed that this is a great idea and it should work and it should work right out of the gate. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sean, tell us a little bit about why you want to eat 
um, night food instead of Halo Top, whatever before sure. going to bed. Sure. Yeah. So so let's start with the fact, like, why are we eating anything, right? Why why can't we seem to most of us can't we seem to make it between dinner and and uh, bed, you know, without reaching for something? And then we'll we'll talk about what and why. Yeah. So so yeah, the, the first thing is that you know w- research indicates that we're just simply wired to to crave calorie dense options at night. And, and it's believed to be a survival mechanism. So, you know, food is plentiful for most of us, you know, fortunately these days, but, you know, thousands of years ago and, and, and beyond, you know, you needed to put fuel in your body in the form of calories and stock up, and it would help make it more likely that you were going to survive the next day. Right, so, right. so at night, what happens is appetite gets stronger in general you know, cravings specifically for calorie dense foods go up. That's why we don't crave broccoli or, or carrot sticks at night or rice cakes, right? That's why we crave the, the, the cookies, right. the chips, the ice cream, and the candy. And at the same time, willpower has weakened throughout the day, right? At night, your willpower is the weakest. So it's kind of a perfect storm conspiring to, and it's gotten worse over the last 10 to 15 years, again, because, you know, we've got more control over when we watch, you know, our, our, downloading and binging Netflix, you know, scrolling on LinkedIn or or Facebook or Instagram or now TikTok. And so, you know, people are probably going to bed later and then that got exacerbated with COVID as well. But so, but the idea is that at night, this is just how we're wired. So now we know what people crave. We know it's, it's, and, and we know that their willpower is weak. But then you said, well, but there's lots of uh, better for you brands out there, right? There's Halo Top and ice cream and there's Skinny Pop popcorn and there's other, you know, better for you versions. So yeah, th- those are a step in the right direction typically because they are, you know, if, if you're able to avoid a lot of sugar or a lot of calories or something that's high glycemic, that's definitely a step in the right direction. But we go further, you know, we formulated for better sleep. And what that means is we would look at a Ben and Jerry's, we would look at a Talenti, we would look in, in the case of cookies, you know, at, at Chips Ahoy or, or whatever, and we would identify what is it that you should have less of, right, which is typically less sugar, less fat, fewer calories. Yep. What should you have more of, which is typically more protein, more fiber, not crazy on the protein, but more protein. And then what specific micronutrients could we add to our, to our snacks? that could also go even further and be helpful. So we've identified things like vitamin B6, uh, inositol, magnesium. You know, these are things that there's a lot of research out there that supports they can be very helpful when taken before bed for better sleep. So so that's kind of what goes into night food. Now, you know, exactly what's in our ice cream. It's not like there's a magic ingredient that we try to use in every snack format. So for instance, our ice cream is significantly higher in tryptophan content than other ice creams, right? We've got uh, 100 grams of tryptophan per serving compared to most other brands. That's going to be anywhere from you know 60% to 100% more tryptophan. But we're not going to try to jam a whole lot of tryptophan into cookies or chips where it wouldn't naturally be anyway, and there's no efficient way to do it. So we stay within the format, right? We work with what the format gives us for the most part, and, and we just make... Well, the, the phrase we use, Steve, is better, healthier, and more sleep-friendly. There you are. Yeah. So, folks, for the audience out there, just in case, first of all, thanks, Sean, for the samples. I will tell you that I've had great experience with it, and 
when you guys are in the hotel or wherever you're going to find this, the the real killer is cherry eclipse and midnight chocolate, a scoop <laughs> of each. That does it for me. Sold right, you know, out out the door. Absolutely, you know, absolutely great. So, because you like it. We, we we're talking about that with you know this the fact that there's so many things out there that can be efficacious, but frankly, you really need to swallow hard to have a lot of them. And in this case, you don't. This case is you have something that not only tastes great, but also yes, does have these sort of added benefit answering that question and relief of guilt a little bit, which is yeah. right. So instead of going for, you know, another handful of ruffles, you know, whatever, I'd much rather have uh, a little dish of ice cream, just the, the, the ritual, the, you know, whatever, I mean, all of that plays into it. So I, it's, it's really, you know, that's really exciting. And the hotel idea, Sean, same thing is kind of trapped audience, you know, you're on you're traveling for business. You've been maybe out for dinner with brokers, you know, you come back in, I'm just going to watch the news and I just want a little something. Well, that's why, that's why they had mini bars, right. <laughs> for, for years. But this idea now that, you know, um, and I think this was one of the things maybe accelerated by COVID was when a lot of the hotels had to close or decided to close the restaurants on site. Yeah. They expanded you know, they expanded the portfolio and you were calling it the mini 7-Eleven, but expanded that portfolio, that hospitality store thing into a virtual little store. A lot of places that did breakfast started doing cold breakfasts out of that case, right? Because they were substituting subs because the restaurant was closed. So I can't do the eggs and, you know, and, and all that stuff. But, you know, here, by the way, is some you know, here's some hard cooked eggs and a bagel and, you know, at least I'm giving you breakfast. So I think that that that's also a great sort of launch point for it. Sorry that it, it had to happen right in the beginning of, of your pivot, but I think that's maybe going to help to accelerate some of that kind of self-serve stuff in those, you know, in those venues for sure. Yeah. They're, they're, they're dedicating so much in the way of resources now to, you know, upgrading and, and, and there's so much technology coming to that space and they're, they're adding shelves and they're adding freezers and, and everything. And it's really interesting. You know, the thing, the thing about hotels, Steve, that we, you started to talk earlier about all the costs associated with competing in the supermarket. So this is what, this is what's really interesting about the hotels. There's no slotting to get in, <laughs> Right. Yep. You don't need to advertise like, you know, why would we need to advertise? Like you said, the ho- the consumer is, the guest is, I don't want to say, a captive is kind of a negative word, but but there's there's one place that's super convenient and that is that place. And there's a very limited selection. So you're 100% in the consideration set. Even if you're right next to a pint of Ben and Jerry's and the person loves Ben and Jerry's, they might love, you know, Cherry Garcia and Chubby Hubby and the hotel has cookie dough and... I don't know, something else, you know, right. uh, yeah. out of this world. And so so the, it's almost definitely the case that the hotel is not going to have their default choice. So now the combination that they're not going to have the default and there's only, you know, four or five pints in the freezer at all. And one of them says sleep friendly. You're in 100 percent of the consideration set and they're not necessarily in the same kind of a rush. They'll stand there. They'll turn the pint around. So. There's no need to advertise. Again, like I mentioned, no slotting and no price promotions, right? So because <laughs> when's the last time you saw anything on sale in a hotel lobby? So, you know, those three line items, as you know, if, if you've got a brand that's doing, you know, anywhere from, 
even one to $5 million, those three line items will typically take almost all, if not all of the profit and profit potential out of a young brand of that size. And for us, we're able to sell in there at full wholesale and we don't have to have all those all those revenue reductions and all those expenses. And, and we're just able to kind of operate on a much stronger gross margin. And that's the other reason why, you know, when we get into and we cross the path of, of 4,000 hotels, which we definitely are expecting to do here in 2022, you know, we'll be into profitability probably significantly earlier than a lot of other food startups if they're going the conventional retail route because again yeah. no slotting no price promotions and no advertising yeah it's 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 a huge it's a huge amount of money and i think the for you know fellow entrepreneurs out there if you, if you're in the early stages of doing something and you know for the last few years it's been where i've worked with people in startups whatever who want to go to retail said okay let's do d2c first let's Let's do direct to consumer. Let's use Amazon and let's use some other things for proof of concept, for proof of whatever, because you know most of them don't have the money and aren't going to have the money at that point. Or to your point, all of the money that they have goes into the aforementioned promotions and advertising and slotting, and there's nothing left over for runway. I mean, just you know, and and that 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 hurts a hurts a lot of people. You will hear people say. That, oh, I, well, you know, Amazon is so expensive, whatever. And that's when I go into the, okay, let me take a look at your, how you figure your margin, because you're obviously not working with a distributor. <laughs> you're, you're obviously not working with a broker, or you would think that Amazon was pretty inexpensive, actually. Yeah. You know, it's, it's those extra things. And most, most folks don't have margin in there or plan a margin, right? You know, to survive. And that's one of the differences you talked about, you know, with going back with tech and starting out with the tech idea. I've talked to a couple of people who are ex-tech who went into food and they said, well, yeah, we had this idea. What we were going to do was we were going to put the product, do the formulation, get the product out there, and we were going to lose money. That was a given from the beginning. We were going to lose money because if the if the category says it's $7.99, we got to be out there at $7.99, even though it costs us $8.44 to make every, you know, make every bar or whatever. It's like but because we we have to test it in real world and i'm going wow that's that's new because most companies have got to put it out there to make a profit at what they're doing right and then get investors and and then work that way so it's it's interesting because you you brought that up the, the differences and they are huge huge differences in how we you know launch test and you know grow food products versus yeah. something like a piece of software that yes you can put it out there for a while or put it out in beta and say oh yes this would cost $150 if you bought it. Are you interested? Well, yes, no, you know, we can go on from there, but that doesn't happen in the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. It's all a different world. So let me ask you, Sean, you know, this has been a real journey. I mean, you've been, you know, whatever in terms of business planning and business, you know, did you actually start out with a plan? Did you do a, did you do a, a business model canvas? Did you do a one sheet lean startup? And then do it over again and over again, or how did how did you attack it from a planning process? I mean, yeah, we we started out with with the plan. I mean, we've we've rebuilt and remodeled, you know, as we've pivoted. <laughs> certainly, you know, it's I'm, I'm I'm more of a big picture guy, so I've always focused on you know the the big picture, and and of course, you know, you need to be able to get there, and and 
you know, you need to have, you need to know, you know, who your customers are and, and how much they're going to pay and where your expenses are and all that stuff. But, you know, th- those models end up just being a guess. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, we've had, when, when I started, I brought on a consultant and we built the first model and, and they've always changed. I mean, now finally, I feel like we've settled on, you know, cause you know, we, we know where this is going and, and how it's going to work. But uh, yeah, I mean, lean startup concept, like I said, doesn't really apply in, in CPG. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a journey and, and my focus is always on, you know, that North star of, of this category has to come. And it's, it's a funny thing, Steve, because I feel like we've kind of, we've kind of put ourselves in a position where I don't know that anybody's going to, going to try this until we either, I guess, fail, but we're, I don't think we're going to, or, or we succeed because, um, you know, we're, we're, we're out there publicly. We've got these great partnerships now with the hotels and we've been in some, some big stores. And so if you're a startup guy, Steve, if, if you wanted to follow me, right. Yeah. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to fund you because if, if you go to somebody in the CPG space as an investor, and they look at this and they're going to be like, oh, well, let's let's see what's going on in this space, right? Is anybody already doing this? They would find us. They would say, this crazy guy here has been at this for 12 years and, <laughs> and they're still trying to figure it out. There's no way I'm giving you money, you know, no, Steve. I don't have let's, that. I don't have that timeline. Sorry. Yeah. Let, let's yeah. see what happens to this guy. And, and, and so we've kind of created a situation, I think, where, you know, I know we've got a lot of eyes on us. We've been contacted by many of the world's largest uh, food and beverage companies and, you know, just to talk and, you know, have some discussions. And uh, yeah, I think everybody's paying attention, but nobody's, you know, until they, until they believe, until the consumer proves to them that they're willing to modify their purchase and consumption behavior based on that nighttime, on that day part, you know, there's no reason for the big food and beverage companies to try to jump in. And I don't think any startup is gonna is gonna be able to get the capital that they would need in order to compete with us. So I think we've kind of cleared 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 a little bit of a path for ourselves here. And uh, yeah, but I think I think the next few months are gonna be very exciting. We just got into the hotels, and uh, it looks like it's gonna really take off very quick. And and from there, you know, it will will be playing in you know a whole different phase of business. Uh, absolutely. Well, the the other thing too, Sean is is you know going back to COVID for a second is paradigm shifts in consumer behavior both in eating and in purchasing, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that purchase power that went to e-commerce did not go back to retail and probably isn't ever going back to retail. And, and, and then also, you know, remote work, homework, hybrid, all of those things. I was talking with some folks from Compass, right? Compass food service. And, and those, those poor guys have been slapped. First of all, their business went away, right? For almost two years. I mean, literally, they supply campuses like Salesforce and Google and all these very large tech companies. Nothing. I mean, literally from billions of dollars of sales to nada. Yeah. Then it was, okay, when we kind of thought we were getting through the first variant and people started getting vaccinated and it was like, oh boy, everybody's, all the guys in C-suite are standing up and saying, hey, we're bringing everybody back. They're yeah. all going to be here June 1st, you know, huh. and yeah. then June 1st came and went, September came and went, January came and went. And, and now they're into this sort of hybrid thing where, you know, we're, we, we know that a certain amount of people are coming into certain campuses, but the truth of it is we still can't tell you what we're going to need next month because we don't know how many people are going to be there. And right. And, and so it's like, great. So there's that aspect. And then the other paradigm shift was the bulk food, prepared food stuff 
went to packaged food because I need it to last for a couple of weeks or more, right? I can't buy it to serve it by Friday because I don't know how many people are going to be coming in. Sure. And yeah. it's just a, a real, a real challenge. And then the home thing, a totally opposite, which is I'm working, I've worked out of the house for years, but people who suddenly went into that phase, you know, it's like 1030. It's like, Hmm, I like another cup of coffee and Oh, a cookie. Yeah, you know, so it's like that whole thing changed too. And so we're still kind of trying to find our way around what's going to be, you know, what's going to be the consumer behavior. So, you know, a good time to be in it. Let me ask you, Sean, real quick though, about the future. If you can talk to us, just, you know, obviously nothing proprietary or whatever, but you, you got to be taking another look at retail, right? Oh, eventually. Absolutely. We want to, we, we want to first establish night food as kind of an industry standard in the hotel space. I, you know, hotels are in the sleep business. They have an obligation at every touch point to help their guests sleep better. They've invested billions in beds and linens and pillows and blackout curtains and white noise machines. And now they have an opportunity to help nutritionally. So I think the next 12 plus months will be spent kind of getting the hotel industry to the tipping point. I think it can happen within the next six months where all of a sudden it feels like every hotel feels kind of compelled that they don't want to be left out. If, if, all the, if so many other hotels already have sleep-friendly snacks, then, right. then they need to have it. So yes. that's the first thing. Now, then once we get there, you know, I think that for the second half of 2023, when you know retailer meetings are occurring, whether it's ice cream or other snack formats, we can really evaluate the path back into retail. Now, the interesting thing is this. Those hotel marketplaces are going to serve as paid trial centers. People, thousands of people are going through these. I mean, if we're, if we're in, you know, 20,000 hotels by late 2023, you know, there's going to be so many people, thousands of people every day trying night food products, trying them for the first time, seeing yep. our ice cream, our cookies, our chips, and it's paid trial in there. And then they're going to be going back home wherever that is and hopefully looking for us. We think it's going to give a big boost to our direct-to-consumer business because I don't think people are going to make a trip to the hotel to stock up on snacks, but they can definitely go to nightfood.com. But yeah, I think I think when we're ready, we do want to get back in. Obviously, we do see ourselves as a mainstream uh, brand, and and it'll be great because you know what? If people have been buying us at the hotel for seven or seven fifty or eight dollars a pint, and then we're five ninety nine in that supermarket, you know that's great. It seems like we're on sale. Same thing for for the other snack formats. So. We will be going back to retail and making it a focus. We're still in several hundred supermarkets and we're going to continue to support those guys and experiment and learn. But I think I think we're going to be a very, very profitable and very strong player in the hotel space. And then on that foundation, go back in on strength, go back into the supermarkets. Good stuff. Right. Uh, awesome stuff, Sean. Hey, but, but thanks for you know taking time to be with us, folks. You can find out more information at nightfood.com. And Sean, the, the, we always try to make our guests feel, of course, really appreciated. So what we do is we, we we put them on the spot a little bit. Our audience is fellow entrepreneurs. We have this segment, we call it Words to Grow By. And it can be a favorite quote. It can be a single word. We have people that quote Teddy Roosevelt. We have all kinds of things from, from you to fellow entrepreneurs. What's some words you want to leave them with? You know, to me, the simplest thing is, and the most important thing is fall in love with the problem. If you, if you learn to appreciate and understand and really fall in love with the problem, then I think everything can take care of itself. I think too many people jump to a solution. You see a lot of products out there 
that whether whether it's the way they're telling their story and their marketing or just the way they built their company, they're not enough focused on the problem. And you just don't the the solution doesn't doesn't exist in your mind if 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 the problem has not been fully understood and identified. So I think that whatever you're trying to do out there, just always, you know, don't lose sight of the problem and understand do everything you can to understand the problem and and things will, you know, take care of themselves. That's awesome. Well, hey, Sean, again, thanks. Really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And I know I know you're busy, but you know, thanks for sharing the story. And and wow, what a journey. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. My pleasure. Keep your eyes on us. Gonna be a hey, fun ride. We will do. No problem. Hey, I'd appreciate everybody spending time with us today. Thanks for joining us in another Next Level Brands podcast. Thanks as well, the nextlevelbrands.com for their production assistance. Always grateful for feedback and comments we get from the audience. If you have an idea for a show topic or a special guest, please feel free to let us know. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.